Asset Arrest, your global agent for accessing the property you can't afford. Hello and welcome to episode 15 of Asset Arrest, a podcast about financialised housing, real estate and its impact upon communities, the meaning of community, ways of living and urban space. I'm Laura Yule and in each episode I typically invite a guest to attend a viewing of a residential property with me as we pose as potential buyers. Guests are invited to talk about their own work, to share their knowledge and experiences on related issues and to respond to the property that we view together and its place within a wider urban and global context. I've had a long break from publishing podcasts as it became quite difficult to focus on many things during lockdown um, and in the, the recent months after lockdown. Um, But I'm back now, I'll be viewing new properties soon and I'm starting here with a conversation had during my December 2019 trip to the Pearl River Delta region. Um, So this episode takes another break from the typical process of viewing a property with my guest due to the limited time I had in Hong Kong as well as the political situation there at the time. Um, But in this episode I meet architect and a professor of architecture at Hong Kong University, Wallace P. Chang. Wallace is both a theorist and practitioner in the areas of public art, architecture and urban design. He's got a particular interest in urban conservation, sustainable planning and vernacular architecture, uh, particularly in the Pearl River Delta, southern China region. His projects include Epithy Home, which explores the principle of ageing in place and highlights the need to allow elderly people to live in their own home and community that they are familiar with for as long as they wish. He believes that the critical element to this principle is a safe living environment that reduces the chances of accidents, especially when living alone. The project aims to develop safe and comfortable accommodation for single elderly people living in public housing estates. So I talked to Wallace about Hong Kong's ageing population, about his fears around how the ongoing political struggle might affect the city in the long term, and how the unaffordability of housing is impacting upon how young people live. I apologise about the background noise, but we had planned to meet in the university, um, but I was unable to enter the campus as an outsider due to the security measures that had been implemented. My name is Wallace, Wallace Chang. I'm teaching in uh, Hong Kong University in architecture department, and also I'm an architect. And you're from, are you from Hong Kong yourself? Yes, I was born and educated here. But at the same time, I also study my uh, my graduate in the States. I guess what I'm interested in is what you see as the most kind of urgent issues relating to housing and architecture at the moment mm-hmm. in Hong Kong. I mean, that's very broad, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think this is also kind of... It's a sharp question in Hong Kong because lots of young people cannot afford their own apartment. It's to so buy expensive. or to, to buy, to buy, yeah. to buy. I mean, they can definitely rent because nobody's living on the streets, right? But the cult... The size and the quality of the apartment actually is not that high mm. because it's so expensive. So they can just afford their minimal apartments. And that actually uh, have an impact on the young people because probably I have some friends, young people, and they get married and they talk to me, okay, I don't want to get kids because they, they cannot afford, right? Mm. Not because of the money, it's because they don't have space for right. that. So I think yeah, that has yeah. a really sad situation, right? Because people are kind of behave, I mean, kind of alter their behavior, natural behavior, because of the limitation of space, which I, I, I don't think is true on the one hand, because they might have other choices if they give up something, right? 
if you say I move a little bit far from the city, or maybe you know I share or I have another kind of what we call the for living kind of lifestyle. So probably this is a, a kind of bottom net for the moment. So to rethink how we live yeah. properly, I think this is the idea. Because I think, given that, I think is not so affordable. I think it's particularly sharp in Hong Kong. There was a statistic saying that okay, what they call the painful impact. That means you you for ordinary people, you work for say 19 years without spending a a penny. Then all the money, then you can get your own apartment, which is impossible. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess I mean renting is also expensive. Yes, so relatively. Yeah. But but I think I think it's more in a way. I think the only affordable rent is they can just a rent of very poor quality. Mm. What they call the subdivided units. I mean, used to be one apartment. They subdivided okay, yeah, two yeah, yeah. or three and. And you may have your own toilets, but I think this is all substandard. Mm. So, which is not good for the health and also particular mental health of the young people. Yeah. So, I, I think this is an issue if we try to relate maybe the reason uh, kind of unrest, social unrest of Hong Kong, because they say, okay, the young people are one of the major players in the, um, in the, in the social movement recently. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They have lots of frustrations, and part of the frustration probably come from uh, their kind of the need for, for housing. Yeah, I mean, I, I anytime I see photos of, of apartments for rent yeah. in Hong Kong, I'm like, can't believe how yes. small it is. Yeah, yeah. It's kind Particularly of. you're tall. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's also, I went to view some quite high end luxury apartments yeah, yeah. in Shenzhen, and yeah. I was like, why, why are they so small? And they were like, oh, we're Hong Kong style, like <laughs> as if it was just a kind of fashionable thing yeah, to do. I think it's an excuse, but I think, <laughs> but personally, I don't mind. It, it's not that big, right? I think it's a reasonable size. It's, mm. it's, it's good. I mean, the point is how suitable or how how uh, well it's, it's being designed. I think it's, it makes sense because I think when we think about the scarcity of space in Hong Kong, I mean, built space, right? So why bother to have big apartments? I think if it's if uh, most of the lifestyle actually here is like yeah, they have um, they have. I call the outdoor activities. That means outside your apartment, right? Because they socialize outside the apartment. They don't invite friends into the apartment. They go yeah, to yeah, restaurants yeah. around, and which and they, you have to you spend know, money to yeah, socialize, basically. Yeah, in a way, in a way. But I think because Hong Kong is such a compact city, mm-hmm. most of those um, social functions, eating or you know, meeting friends, you can always find places in the city. So. What is left as an apartment actually is the place for you to rest mm. or to be yourself, right? To be yourself. You, you may have solitude in your, in your apartment, which is essential, I think, for human beings because you, you need spaces to, to be, just be yourself, right? I think uh, yeah. to save and, and, okay, I own it or I, I really drag into it. To you know, retreat from the, retreat the, from the noise the of everything, I guess. But that, that means you can be easily satisfied with a reasonable size apartment. Right. I think that probably is the solution forward because the territory actually is limited, probably because of the line that is drawn between Hong Kong and Shenzhen, right? So the territory is limited unless you reclaim more land. That, that is some, you know, proposal by the government saying, oh, they want to reclaim a big island, mm-hmm. which may take maybe 20 years now. So young people become old people, right? <laughs> so yeah. by then. So it's not a, a 
real solution for the for the current situation. Mm. So that's the reason why some people, architects, also some social workers, they say, okay, maybe we have to rethink or provide something which is immediate to transform some of those uh, obsolete schools, factories, uh, yeah. which is not in use and uh, that can be converted easily into living spaces. I think that that makes sense because after you really converted all this space, you solve say 20% of the problem, hmm. so that will cool down the the frustration a little bit. Yeah. Right? Is there a lot of? I mean, is there a lot of buildings that sit empty then? Not many, but I think some industrial buildings actually they can be easily converted, and okay. I think definitely there's some empty buildings like I mean there's lots of uh, empty schools hmm. because in the last say ten some years I think that there's a change of the young population. So, as I less, mentioned earlier, less young population. I mean, less young population. That's, I mean, which is parallel to the um, example that I gave to you, right? I mean, mm. young people doesn't want to have kids, so that's the reason why the young the birth rate actually is declining, and yeah, then yeah. affects the the school kids. You know? So, so that was a peak, uh, I think, in trend, in ten years ago, and then it goes down. Mm. So, leaving lots of uh, empty schools. And the empty schools, I think, is easily converting, can be easily converting into um, apartments. Mm. Um, but this would be done by the government or by some private company? I think now it's owned by the government educational department. Okay. And uh, there were some proposals from yeah. the social, I mean, the NGOs, some NGOs, to say, okay, we can initiate that and we can ask uh, architects to do something for that. But now the hurdle is, okay, because the education department think, okay, if I give this property to you, they don't know when this will be returned. Mm. And in, in fact, I think it's, it's just an anxiety between different departments. Education department and housing department, they're not co cooperating in such a sense. Because if say, okay, these are empty spaces, let's do it for 10 years, okay? And then sign a contract for 10 years, right? And then after 10 years, we have to rethink. So I think it's easily resolved if those departments can talk together and they can sit down on the table and draft out a plan for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, again, the government's uh, issue, they, they don't want to talk to each other. Yeah. <laughs> Are the government, I mean, is there new social housing being built or provided? I or think they have like been trying hard to build uh, as much as possible. But unfortunately, um, the available land actually is limited. Mm. Because you have to have all the infrastructure in place, right? Before you really supply or support uh, this amount of um, population. Because probably you know in Hong Kong the situation is uh, even for public housing is quite highly intensified, right? So, so you have to provide sufficient infrastructure, like the, you know, the road system, mm. you know, all those um, gas and pipes and all these things. And I guess all the land surrounding the cities, kind of. Yes, yes. Is it like not suitable for? Not necessarily. On it's, this it's like it's like okay, Hong Kong is divided into, I would say, two, two parts of it. One is urbanized, one mm. is rural. In fact, for a statistic point of view, the urbanized area is counting to about 24% of the whole territory. That means 70-some percent actually is all green land and country parks, which is 
underdeveloped or no development at all. So they'd have to build yeah, everything. In, in a way, I think it's a complex issue because those land partially is owned by, um, used to be farmers in Hong Kong. Mm. They own the land. And, and I mean, unfortunately, in the last, say, 20, 30 years, this land were being bought by major developers in Hong Kong. And they hold the land without really doing anything because the infrastructure is not in place. So they're just waiting for the time to build. Just waiting, yeah. And okay, if you have a road to me, I can build it, right? That's not the situation. So, so it's like deadlock somewhere. Mm. So that's the reason why recently uh, the government say, okay, maybe we can make a deal with those uh, developers and say, okay, give them some incentive to redevelop that. And then the other side of the society says, oh, no, 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 you give flavor to, to the development. To, so, so there's still a struggle between you know, how to balance all, because the society need housing to accommodate, say, young people, old people, whoever, right? And, but the, the other side of the people say, okay, you, you're really you know, pipelining these kind of uh, benefits to the developers. So nobody can tell what is true for the moment, but they have different perspectives of arguing and it becomes like a culture in Hong Kong nowadays. Everything, whatever you want to say, they have they can make excuses for ten, for ten reasons and then nothing is happening. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned this idea of like co-living, it's become quite a kind of popular idea at the morning at the moment I guess, but I'm wondering, I mean, I see it spring up in London more in, in, a, in the form of like we work type mm -hmm, yeah. culture and this kind of like yeah, corporate, yeah, yeah, yeah. expensive yeah. luxury idea yeah. of co-living rather yeah. than like quite a basic idea of yeah. living in a community. <laughs> <laughs> in, a, in a way, I think people are exploring this idea. Actually, there are situations, I mean, there are real cases that they say some people, they, um, some developers, they bought, say, a whole building, which may be five-story building, small building like this, right? And they try to reorganize everything, you know, decorate a little bit and rent it out for, for young people mm. uh, with a relatively affordable rental, so which is kind of popular. A kind of dormitory style. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. yeah, because they understand the young people, they don't really spend much time in their home, <coughs> right? But rather they will be, you know, working, say, 15 hours, 16 hours a day, and they maybe they, they just stay at the home for socializing for one or two hours, and then they go to sleep, right? That's not the lifestyle that they're expecting. So it's like a dormitory kind. But they, they add in some of those elements, okay, uh, they can really promote your, say, for example, there are laptop companies, right? They just have one-man band, right? They have their own, you know, their own logo in the internet, and then they can do business. Mm. By meeting some young people, they chat with each other, and then they may have breakfast together, and they set up some new ideas. I think in a way, which is kind of encouraging. On the other hand, I think it's sort I mean, it's sort part of the problem of uh, the startup business, uh, but it's not totally resolving the, um, the situation uh, because I think definitely we need uh, more ownership in some sense. I think young people or maybe people who have um, young family, mm. they want to have ownership. 
or just even something more long term I guess yeah, yeah. everything that, is kind that of that is not addressed right becoming this like short term yeah, extended hotel yeah if you idea. just imagine say okay this apartment this uh, building for five stories and there are 20 people living there young people they are all single that's fine right but once okay three couples coming into the place and we stir up everything because they may keep I mean they may have kids or you know if once you have kids it becomes more nuisance <laughs> so they they should have more private spaces mm. and that part actually is not totally interest because I think they the young couple probably also need stability and also some kind of ownership of the place uh, which become un- unaffordable right so that that's the reason why so people when they get married some of them they choose not to have kids so that, that's like a vicious cycle right so the birth rate goes down and then well, at the same time, now it's a critical moment because they said in this year, okay, 2019, actually what they call the, um, the elderly's uh, window actually is closing. That means the dependency rate of the population here is more than 50%, 15% is getting more than 65 years old. And then it will be growing as well because of the baby boomers. In the com- upcoming years, I think the older people, the, the, the portion will be higher. Right? So, if the society has to rely on the young people, they have to. They are taking a big burden. So I think it's like stuck. You know, I mean, the situation now is like a, it's like bottlenecking somewhere. And and, and the the only solution probably is okay. The old people have to deal with their own problem. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> for two reasons like because most of the home ownership actually belongs to them, this group. Yeah. Because when they own their apartment, actually they were younger and they already pay off all the mortgages. So I think they still afford to have a reasonable good place, I mean, in terms of proportion yeah. of uh, population. So I think, so how are we going to, I think the, the structural issue is how are we going to allow those group of people to let out some of those I would say the residual values of their living apartments and really agglomerate or reorganize a little bit to provide new spaces or more affordable spaces for young people. So yeah, the young yeah. people will have less burden because most of the income will go to the rental, right? If you pay less, then they, they, I mean the, the vitality of the society will higher, right? But the point is, okay, how are we going to use this kind of, if you call it benefit for the young people, how are we going to use this benefit feeding back to the older generation? Mm. That means if they let more spaces out, okay, in terms of money, they can give more spaces out. And those spaces can help the young people. And young people on the on return, they can help the old people. Okay, yeah. They so start like really paying money like to them, a, right? Yeah. But the point is, I think this kind of system, okay, I'll put the young people together, old people in one house. And maybe it's not working too, right? I think it's, it's a very subtle exchange yeah. if you force the young people to live with an old people who don't know each other at all and it becomes another problem too so how to make them socialize how to make this kind of um, it's a system where people can really respect each other at the same time we're helping each other i think this is a big issue so say if we work is one model okay okay <laughs> maybe an equivalent model which is beneficial to each other should be thought out. Yeah, yeah, so like a slightly formalized relationship yeah, between fine, the yeah. young and old. So I think, like, I think there like are a, different models to do it. But 
Unfortunately, because housing or, or apartment actually, when we set up the apartment, actually everything is so fixed, right? You partition here, and you have the toilet, and you have the washroom, and you know everything is so uh, compartmentized. Mm. If you really have to make it more flexible, you really have to invest, right? And, and that because those apartments when they are designing, when they are being designed, I think earlier it's like okay, they have an idea in mind. Okay, two bedroom, three bedroom, and all these things. Okay, so I mean those bedrooms actually is within one household. If you externalize your bedroom, so it becomes difficult. So that is also a design issue. I think that's the reason why I'm also advocating. If, I mean, in the future apartments, we have to really think possibly how to externalize bedrooms or rooms which can be independent. Okay. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I think that is one thing which is not realized. You mean like the so for example now the design okay. would allow some flexibility. Yeah, like some flexibility, and because I think that can help because in the in some of the elderly housing, for example. I mean, young couple doesn't. I mean, even the parents they don't want to live together within one apartment. They want to live next or close to their parents, so they still have certain kind of yeah. separation, which is understandable, mm. right? So I think this is an ideal or a more relevant situation when you think about this, right? So say for example, I mean, if we design elderly housing, okay, elderly can live by themselves, and a couple can live by themselves, okay. Vice versa, if this become old. And these older people cry, and they can rent to young people, and they can support each other. So this kind of, I would say, semi-detached kind of apartment yeah. can be quite interesting. At the same time, can resolve part of those uh, social problems. Yeah. And you, I think that that is something that we have to think about, which is not so popular and in the past, right? Because everyone, oh, I have three bedroom. This bedroom should be within this apartment. So I think this is something we may think about. Mm. Do you think Hong Kong's a tough place to live for the elderly? Definitely, definitely. I mean, in terms of just for like, all, for all people, actually. It seems I just kept picturing it. Um, yeah. I kept picturing being like eighty and trying to walk yeah. some of these streets, or like you know, get up to my apartment on the thirtieth floor. Because or because the city was when the city was built. Actually, most of the building. Actually, you can think about the city was built in two big generations. One in between the fifties and sixties. I mean, they say Hong Kong, and, you know, all those very highly Wang Chai and it's very dense, dense, yeah, yeah. Um, densely populated, walk-up buildings. This was built in the 50s and 60s, and then afterwards they built, rebuilt, and you know, and then they we have a uh, uh, in the uh, and then real estate booming is between the 80s and 90s. Mm. I mean, for those new buildings, they have lifts, right? So it's easier for the elderly for the people buildings, to yeah. move in. But for, for those old buildings, you have to walk up for five-story high, it's impossible, right? So lots of old people actually was trapped up there, right? Because they, they can go up, but they can never go down again, okay? because their yeah, legs are not yeah. working. So they need Just some isolated. assistance, right? So, so lots of uh, this issue happening. Mm. So, so nowadays, I think lots of architects, other designers, that we are thinking about, okay, when the city was built like this, how are we going to build a city which is age-friendly again? Which takes lots of efforts to to make it workable, mm. because it's just a recent, very recent um, uh, agenda among the professionals to think about how we're going to make Hong Kong an age-friendly city. Mm. And I say it's impossible for two reasons. I think one is you know the majority of the urbanized situation is in Hong Kong side, for example, it's all with uh, slopes. Right? Yeah. So older people can. 
mobility is limited, right? Yeah, On the yeah. other hand, I think because I think at least fifty percent of the building was was you know old buildings. You had walk up, and they are not. I mean, the regulations so restricted. We cannot really relax it for to to, to put in all the lifts and all this stuff, right? Mm. There's no extra area to do it unless the government really relax their policy a little bit, regulation a little bit, then I think it can be Is possible. it like a health and safety regulation to know? Yeah, yeah, and building regulations as well. Building because, regulations. Because they have one set of building regulations for everything, one right. size fits all, so it's impossible. Yeah, so yeah. Example, I think some of those uh, heritage buildings as well, right, because that was built like, like 100 years ago, you know, they have to compile all the fire regulations today, it's impossible. Similar to this, right? Similar to the same idea. So if we have an agenda in the society, say, okay, we have to cater for all people who can move up easily, down easily, and then after that they can relax a little bit of the room, okay, the room can go to the young people. So I think the whole idea is, okay, we have to solve the housing problem in a holistic, systematic manner instead of piecemeal. Mm. For the moment, everything is so piecemeal, and the, I mean, the, 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 the problem is that that not between departments. The fire department doesn't want to take care of this. You know, the housing department doesn't want to take care of the other. You know, and, you know, not to mention Nothing something. gets done. Yeah, so nothing was done. So unless there was a strong leadership to say, okay, no, 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 we have to have an agenda. We have to have a vision. This is a good city for old people as well, young people. Every people feel safe and everyone feel have, have lots of uh, hope here. Okay, let's release you know, all these kind of uh, burdens for the real estate because why, why real estate is so expensive because of developers, right? You can, the government actually is the biggest developer. If they say, okay, I can provide very cheap housing for you easily, right? And they, but on the other hand, they say, oh, we have limited land, we have limited resources, we don't want to do it. Yes, we understand the situation, we understand the difficulties, but I think what is lacking is the commitment. If they say, I have to do it, Maybe not today, but I will do it today, starting from today, and in 10 years later, you know, it can be an age-friendly city, it can be a, you know, a much fairer city. The painful index can reduce down to 10 years, mm. for example, like that, right? So you have worked along, you have to work along with this kind of uh, agenda. Because on the one hand, I think you can build forever. You can build high, highest forever. Actually, in Hong Kong, nobody will complain, it, right? Because high-rise living actually is a law here. Already. Is there regulations in terms of the, in terms of like where you can build a high rise? Uh, definitely, they have some urban design or planning some restrictions, right, yeah. right? But technically, you can build wherever, right? Technically, you can build wherever, and I think most of the cities, say in Europe, why they're not building high because of cultural cultural reason, say mm. London, for example, they started to build high rise, I think, very recently, right? They should have built high yeah. rises much earlier, and now they realize, oh, we have. The, do more high but rises. People protest, you know, people yes, don't true. want to. So I think this is this is the other consideration, say in UK or in, U in London. In Hong Kong, being high rise, nobody will complain mm. because people are so used to it, right? It's, it's becoming part of the culture. Yeah. They're taking a lift up and down, okay, everybody is doing it every day. So the point is, okay, if this is the norm, if this is an accepted idea, that means if you build forever high, the provision of living is unlimited because there's no limit to the sky, right? Somehow, yeah. you think it this way, right? So 
what we are facing the housing problem is how we can articulate the population and how we articulate the expectation of people and how we can provide in phases in such a way that people still keep hope. People say, okay, this is a good place to stay. In Hong Kong, there's no, basically no natural resources, just the people. If we lost the people, the city will die. It should be a kind of balanced city mm. where the cultural capital, uh, financial capital, as well as the social capital should be sufficient and self-balancing, right? If it is a good city. Um, I think the other two is lacking. I mean, they, there are elements like that, but they are, they're not treasuring it too much, all because it's difficult to measure, mm. right? It's easy to measure money, right? But it's difficult to measure the community and what kind of kinds values. I think that is a difficult part. Mm -hmm. And I think we have to, globally, I think we have to uh, reinstate that. Otherwise, I think all those good things, goodies, all those goodies, right, we've gone. And how much or how far that can go and really get a balance, I think it's, it's, it's a collaboration. We're at the front door of China, right? Yeah, but we are kind of uh, very much internationalized and because of the history, we are kind of British, part of the British colony and also the American impact here is quite strong. So it's the, it's the, it's the frontier between the two value systems, right? And that's, and that's becoming all so obvious in the, in the past few months. You know? yeah. It's not just about people angry, but the people are angry, yes, but it's just revealing the inner conflict. These two systems between the socialist and the capitalist, between China and uh, American values. So we are here is the, is the battlefield of this uh, yeah, yeah. value system. If we can really creatively think about a possible out, you know, outcome or possible solution of that, okay, probably it's leading to the future globally too. It's strange listening back to this conversation that was had in December last year when the world felt like a very different place. And I'm now finding it hard to imagine going back to this easy state of international travel and walking around the crowded streets. But next time I'll be travelling back in time again and looking back at another meeting um, I had in mainland China. Till then, stay safe, stay healthy and stay hopeful. You're listening to Asset Arrest, helping you see the most exclusive parts of the city.